0: After considering a career as an accountant, some time spent as a missionary, and a small business owner digitizing compact discs, yes, compact discs, today's guest, Kent C. Dodds, has steadily spent the last decade building up a career as a web developer and software engineer for the likes of USAA, Domo, The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and PayPal. These days, Kent is on his own as a world-renowned speaker Teacher and trainer on software and software quality, especially in the JavaScript and front end development space. His work can be found on several leading sites like egghead.io, front masters, and his very own epicreact.dev and testingjavascript.com. In addition to all that great educational content, Kent also is an active contributor and maintainer of hundreds of popular open source JavaScript libraries. Be sure to stay tuned as we catch up with Kent C. Dodds and hear how this would-be accountant has built a career in tech.
1: You're listening to the Tour Podcast, hosted by Grant Ingersoll. We have one goal on the show, to help you build a successful career in tech, no matter where you're from or where you're going. We do this by showcasing interesting people working across a variety of roles in tech and deep dive into their why. If you want to learn more, please visit our website at developmentor.com or follow us on Twitter at Developmentor.
0: Hi, everyone, and thanks for listening as we celebrate publishing 100 episodes of Developmentor. You're probably ready to hit skip right now, but I hope you will listen for a moment as I share why I'm so proud to have Manning Publications as a sponsor on the show. We've all heard the cliche that books can change lives, but in my case, it's not just a cliche. Two books have radically changed my career in tech, both published by Manning. The first, Lucene in Action by Otis Gospodnetich and Eric Hatcher, introduced me to Lucene, an open-source library that powers the likes of Apache Solar and Elasticsearch, and upon which... I've spent 16 plus years of my career working on. The second is a little bit closer to my heart, Taming Text. It is my book. Manning took a chance on me as an unknown author way back when in the field, and I'm forever grateful for that. I've seen firsthand the power a good tech book can have, and you can too, by going to manning.com and using the coupon code poddevmen 20 That's P-O-D-D-E-V-M-E-N-2-0 at checkout to get 40% off the tech book that just might change your life. show Kent great to have you here
2: oh thank you so much Grant I really appreciate that intro it was very nice yeah I know you're, you're welcome and I'm
0: so appreciative of you taking the time and I know as like you we were just talking beforehand you know COVID of course is affecting all of us in very deep ways but one of the silver linings I, I think for both you and me is we've been able to be home a bit more how's that working for you?
2: Yeah, it's been phenomenal, honestly. I mean, I've been working from home for years. I I was full-time remote at PayPal and then on my own, of course, I'm uh, I'm in my office at home and that's nice, but my family is home more and uh, we are expected to go out less, right? Uh, And so we get to spend more of our time together rather than, you know, going throughout the activities uh, around. So it's, you know, there's nothing good about COVID, but that aspect of it has been kind of a nice change.
0: Yeah. Real quick before we dive in, you know, you've, you've been a fellow remotey as, as I often call myself as well. Like what's your best remote work tip for our listeners out there?
2: I think that remote work has so many advantages and like it doesn't really work super well for everybody. I know some people really struggle with it, but for me, I'm actually pretty extroverted. So I, you might think of me as, as kind of the person where I wouldn't do super well with remote work. And so if you're kind of the extroverted person and you're forced into a remote situation or, or you want to just try it out, then one thing that really helped me at least before COVID uh, was going out to lunch with other people like my friends from previous jobs or or just going out to, to talk shop with people. So I guess that would be a tip. Uh, maybe during this COVID situation, don't go out, but like do Zoom calls or something, but uh, make sure that you take care of your relationships with other people and especially with your family.
0: Yeah, <laughs> so, so true, even if you're not stuck home at remote. I know that first two months I was remote, I, w- I was so lonely. And then finally, like I realized, like, Grant, like you're so used to being in an office, like you got to go meet people. That changed everything. So Let's dive in here then, you know, I mentioned would be accountant. I know you spent some time doing some missionary work. Take me back to those early days, you know, 18 year old Kent, 16 year old Kent, wherever you want to start kind of before tech and, and tell me, you know, how were you thinking about your career and
2: and your future ahead of you? When I was a teenager, certainly accounting was like way far from my mind. Uh, (laughs) My dad was a a certified public accountant, uh, had his own clients, helped with the tax preparation kind of thing. And that did not look like the glamorous life that I wanted to lead. So accounting was way out of my mind. Tech was definitely something that was interesting to me, but I had a friend who was a, a programmer and he tried to teach me programming and I did not understand it. I mean, I built a HTML page and stuff and styled it with CSS, but nothing really significant. Um, most of what I was doing as a teenager was video editing. And that's what I thought I wanted to get into uh, was, yeah, I wanted to be a video editor, what, maybe 3D, like a 3D animated film or, or you know, just the regular cutting and things. And that was kind of what I was thinking. I, I definitely wanted to be in computers. That was a foregone conclusion for me. I was really skilled, really fast working around the computer. Things were really intuitive to me, but programming them, I'd pretty much given up on that idea uh, when my friend tried to teach me what a string was and I couldn't couldn't get it.
0: <laughs> so kind of that, you know, digital native experience like, uh, you know, many folks these days obviously growing up uh have but not necessarily caring about what was underneath if I'm hearing you right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, so then what inspired you to get into tech? Because as I understand it, so you did go sign up for accounting, perhaps because it was this thing you knew, but then, you know, pretty quickly decided while you're at school to go pursue a computer science or a related field, right? How did that happen?
2: I started out in electrical engineering because that's what my brother did. And he said, hey, listen, you do electrical engineering and you can literally do anything you want when it comes to computers. I was like, OK, that sounds interesting. So I started with that. I took two programming classes. I actually did really well in them, but I committed myself to never do programming because I couldn't even stand 16 hours a week of homework. The thought of eight hours a day in front of a computer just was not interesting to me. And so I, I knew I didn't want to do the programming side of things for sure. But when I got back from my mission, I'd been gone for two years. I, I think maybe I'd forgotten everything or I just was never actually that good at math. And, and I did super bad in my math refresher class. And I just thought, you know, maybe an engineer is not my thing, but I can do algebra and maybe I should actually try out this thing my dad was doing. So I, I decided to take a, an accounting class. I loved the first class. I thought it was really interesting, um, or maybe I fooled myself into loving it, I don't know. At this point, <laughs> I can't imagine how I could have really enjoyed that, <laughs> but I did, I guess. And I decided to switch my major, and that put me in the business school. And as part of the business school, to get in into the program, I had to take an information systems class, and as well as the second accounting class. And that second accounting class just destroyed me. I did not enjoy it. I did really poorly. It was not fun at all. So I guess that's what it's for, right? It's like you take these lower classes to see if that's what you want to be. And it worked for me. I did not want to be an accountant. But taking that information systems class was interesting because with my previous programming classes, I was like, you know, let's write a linked list and I don't care about that stuff. Let's let's write a compiler. No, I, you know, zeros and ones. No, who cares? That's not interesting to me. But in information systems, we, we didn't do a lot of programming, but the programming that we did had a like real tangible product, like something that I could say, hey, I have this problem and I use this computer to solve this problem. And it's like a real world problem that I have. And that, that was really interesting. So I ended up switching from accounting to information systems, which is in the business school. I still wasn't convinced that I wanted to program, but I thought, hey, I really enjoy computers. I'm really good at, at this computers thing and business seems interesting. So if I can take computers and apply computers to business problems, then maybe I can make something work there. You know, there's plenty more to talk about there, but that's how I kind of started shifting back over to computers and and started to get into programming again.
0: Gotcha. You know, I love that notion of this real tangible product. I mean, is that kind of ultimately what was the gateway to, you know, effectively these days you do a lot of front-end work. I know you've had some things like database engineer on your Resume, but is you know for the most part you're focused on front end development. Is it was that connection, if you will?
2: Yeah, it's it's way easier to see the tangible benefit of what you're doing when you're interacting with a UI than it is when you're looking at like terminal output. Yeah, cool. I just you know optimize this database query so it's way faster. It's just a little bit more abstract um, when you're talking about something like that versus when you're like, look at this really awesome user experience that I've created. You know, It used to take 30 clicks to accomplish this task, and I, I've been able to design this or, or change the implementation here so that it's a lot faster. And these days I actually spend a lot more time building libraries and things. That part of the impact is maybe felt a little bit less and I have to think more about the abstract portion of it, but I think that's what got me started into UI was just that really quick feedback cycle of seeing the impact of the changes that I was making.
0: Yeah, for sure. I know several of the guests I've had on the show, You know, they, they're of that view source school of learning uh, how to code and that visual impact is so real for so many developers. And, and then, of course, like you said, it can take you in so many ways from there. Kent, you know, on your blog, I think you said at one point, I didn't know it yet, but I was churning into a software developer, figuring out who we are. You know, it's such a critical part of life, right? And some people never even do. But what was your mindset then? And then when did you realize this really was not just a thing, but but really was your thing and that you wanted to have a career in software development?
2: Before I got into the Information Systems program, I'd gotten in, but before I'd actually started, I got a internship at a, a company called the More Good Foundation, where uh, we got permission from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to take uh, old DVDs from the church and things and, and put them up on YouTube for them. That process was really arduous. It was like a monkey task. I, I'd started my program and I was doing Java programming and I thought, you know, I could probably automate what I'm doing here. And so I did and ended up being like super successful. I, I uploaded thousands of videos with this Java program, uh, integrating with the YouTube API and everything. It was, it was awesome. This is a nonprofit. They showed the board of directors and everybody, like, look at this cool kid who did this thing. And I felt like super, a million bucks. Like, it was awesome. Even then, I still wasn't like convinced I wanted to be a programmer. And so I ended up getting an internship at, uh, at the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints as a business intelligence engineer, they had just this side project, this little program, Java program that automated one task and uh, my mentor there, the, the person who was assigned to uh, help me through my internship. He said, hey, could you help me fix this bug? You know Java, right? And so I, I fixed it. And then I thought, you know, I could add a couple of features. Then I just started, I switched my internship from business intelligence to programming just naturally. And I, I didn't know what was happening to me, but I, every day I wanted to do the program stuff. And by the end of that internship, I realized, oh my gosh, I'm a programmer this is what I want to do. And and I was still doing Java. It wasn't until I went over to Domo that I, I discovered JavaScript and then everything exploded for me. But that was around the time where it really clicked for me. Like, this is just natural. This is what I want to do with my time. That's
0: fantastic. Well, and such a far cry from like, I don't even know what a string is or want to know what a string is. Well, so you mentioned Domo in there and I, you know, I know you're not there anymore, but you said that was kind of a, that really is what, set the stage then for you Uh, you know what happened there in terms of that next step for you in your career?
2: I think I still hadn't quite accepted the fact that I wanted to be a software engineer but but Domo gave me the opportunity to have a, a workplace that was a little bit closer to my home and startup feel at the church I had to wear not a button up shirt but like you know a polo or something and I just wasn't super down with that I wanted to walk around in shorts and flip flops and and have snacks for free and you know that that startup life I was I was young you know and it seems like really cool place lots of really smart people and honestly more in line with what I wanted to do so they actually gave me a QA engineer position automation and I didn't write a single test I spent my whole like first couple weeks trying to figure out how to write tests, uh, which is funny now that I become kind of the testing guy in, in JavaScript, but I did not understand it. Like this was all in Ruby, we were hitting Java endpoints. The The guy who was teaching me, he was actually my boss, he used Vim and I it took me forever to understand that what he was doing was actually navigating a file system in his editor. And I i was so confused what he was doing. So yeah, I had a really hard time. But then the UI team needed a little bit of help. So I said, Yeah, I'll i will try some JavaScript stuff. What's this dollar thing? And, and I eventually figured out what was going on. And something clicked for me through the help of, of some of the people there, like Merrick Christensen, especially was just a huge help there. Still a really great friend. And things started rolling. And, and I switched over to the UI team officially. And that's when It was like rock solid. I am a software engineer. I do front end with JavaScript. And that's going to be my life for the foreseeable future.
0: I love when serendipity and preparedness and mentorship come together. And it sounds like you had that at Domo. And that's such a good thing for our listeners to take note of is if you can find an internship like that, it's not always easy. Not sure how to ask for that raise at work? Perhaps you're perplexed on whether you should change careers or not. Maybe you're debating whether you should get another degree. or Perhaps you're not quite sure how to negotiate for equity at your startup. Listen up, because we here at Developmentor are launching a new topic-based episode format that'll air once a month as a bonus to our usual interviews. In each episode, our panel will tackle the toughest topics in building a successful career in tech, as well as discuss listener-submitted questions all with the goal of providing you deeper insights into how to navigate your career in tech. So if you have a question on your career that you'd like answered, drop us a note and we just might answer your question on air. Head over to developmentor.com questions and fill out the form to submit your question or you can drop us an email at hello at developmentor.com. If your question is chosen to be read on air, we'll send you a thank you gift. Be sure to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast player to catch our new monthly bonus episodes, as well as all of our regularly scheduled interviews. Okay, so you're you intern. You're, I'm assuming then you're about to graduate. Like Launch me into your actual software engineering career, and how has that developed? Kind of hit the highlights and key inflection points for us, if you will.
2: There are a couple of key takeaways that I want to mention specifically, some things that I did that I think are reproducible and and kind of important. So one part of this story is before I got my part-time job, this was still during school, my part-time job at Domo, I'd actually already signed up to do an internship with USAA over the summer. And so I talked to Domo about that. They said, yeah, sure, you can come back after like, you know, that's that's whatever. We we don't hate you for doing that. Um, We know you had already accepted that. And so I went out to USAA and that really solidified what I wanted to do. I did not want to work at a a big company, you know, a big ship. Like maybe I can make a huge impact, but like it takes so long to make things happen at big companies like that. It's just not the environment that I'm I'm at. Like they were migrating from their own custom made thing that was like 20 years old to something else that was also like 10 years old. So I was not into that. I wanted to be on the front, the bleeding edge, I guess.
0: Let me jump in because did you say they were migrating from 20 year old software to 10 year old software?
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. At least they were moving from their custom made thing to something that was open source. But yeah, they're like, well, you know, this is battle tested and like yeah, battle tested by dinosaurs. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to work in that environment. And it's, you know, some people do, and that's that's totally cool. That just wasn't what I wanted. So that that was an interesting learning for me. And I was grateful to learn that at an internship where I was only expected to to be there for three months. But I I did reject the the offer that they gave me. I, I still had um, a year of school, and so they gave me an offer to come back full time the next year, and I rejected that offer. Around this time, I was starting to get nervous because lots of my friends had already accepted offers and like, I've got a kid and another on the way. And like, I need to make sure I have some a place to work. And I I guess I didn't really it hadn't really sunk in how relatively easy it is to to land a job when you have like still nine months (laughs) before you need Mm -hmm. to to get that job, Uh, especially when when you're at a university like BYU. But anyway, I was pretty nervous. And here's the key takeaway that I wanted to mention in, in this story. So I went back to my job at Domo, or I was planning on going back to my job at Domo, and two weeks before I went back, I started calling the recruiter that I'd worked with, and I called my manager, and nobody was answering me, and I couldn't get a hold of anybody all the way until I got back, and I was getting nervous because I wanted to start working, want to start making money, so it was the Monday after I'd gotten back, and that was when I was planning on coming back, so I just went. I hadn't talked to anybody about me starting up work again. But I was like, I'm going to work. And so I, I went in, I talked to the receptionist. You know, I, I didn't have my badge or anything. And I said, hey, could you uh, get my manager, my old manager? And she said, yeah. And he looked at me. He, like, he opened the door like, oh, Ken, what are you, what are you doing here? <laughs> like, yeah, I'm back. I'm ready to work. And he was like, I guess we'll go get you a computer. <laughs> I got my job back. And I don't know. I, I feel like the thing that I want to communicate with that is Like, sometimes you have to take that risk and, you know, the worst they could have done is said, hey, we're not ready for you, go back home, or hey, we decided we don't have room for you, go back home. Like, that's bad news, but that would have been bad news that they could have shared with me over the phone two weeks later while I'm waiting, right? Like, being a little assertive, I wasn't rude or anything. I just was presumptuous, I guess, and it worked out pretty well.
0: (laughs) life favors the bold. I love it. It's <laughs> just showing up and be like, here I
2: am. I could just imagine at a large company, they would probably be like, oh yeah, yeah, right, right. You know, oh, the system must not be up to date. <laughs> like landing the the full-time job at Doma was also interesting because um, again, I'm still kind of nervous. They told me they couldn't give me any promises. They're, they're still a relatively small, smaller company, still kind of startup. And so they couldn't give me any promises m- months in advance, but I really wanted to work there full-time. And so we were doing hackathons and I did something pretty cool for my hackathon project. So cool that Merrick Christensen, my friend that I mentioned earlier, he had a good relationship with the CEO Josh James, and invited Josh over to take a look. And this is 11:30 at night, like we just finished the hackathon. And so I showed Josh, and Josh says, "Hey, that's pretty cool." And then Merrick says, "Yeah, and this guy's an intern." And I just seized that moment, and I said, "Yeah, that's right, Josh. And if you give me an offer right now." I'll accept it. There's probably a lot of privilege that goes into me being able to say something like that. I imagine that maybe a woman in tech or a person of color would people would have looked at that a little bit differently, which is um, a really unfortunate uh, part of our industry. But it worked out really nicely for me. And and he did like he slid me a piece of paper, said, what's your number? I wrote down something that was too low, <laughs> ended up being too low. And he called the HR VP and and got it approved. And I uh, got my offer. So yeah, uh, maybe a little a pinch of hubris. And that ended up working out pretty well for me at Domo.
0: That's fantastic. Well, if you don't ask, you don't uh, get, right? I guess. Um, (laughs) Then learning the lesson, I I know I learned that same salary lesson as well. Of like, I was just about to say my number, and then I said to the my prospective boss, "Is like, well, I figured you probably have better data on that than I do." He came in like twenty grand over what I was gonna ask. All right, so that gets you through domo, and like maybe a. One or two other key inflection points kind of bringing forward, and then I, of course, I want to talk about some of the, the here and now as well.
2: I finished school, I graduated, converted full, to full-time, and after just a few months, I started feeling like, I'm, I'm always going to be an intern at this company. That's just the perception that people are going to have. I, I noticed I was working with some of the smartest people in Utah that I could have ever like had the opportunity to work at, and they helped me out a lot. I Just listening to their conversations was a real blessing. Like it was awesome uh, for my learning, but like anytime there was a hard problem to be solved, it would be solved by somebody else. Um, because I was the, the intern that converted to full time. I needed to pay my time, but I felt like I was excel- like I'd already been there for a year and a half and I felt like I was accelerating pretty well and, and ready for some of these challenges, but they were just being handed off to other more experienced engineers. And so I thought, you know, I I started feeling like I wanted to to change where I was working, and the church actually reached out to me and said, "Hey, we want to, you to come back." It was a totally different department, but uh, come in and be a software developer. And this position can take you up to a salary of $115,000 a year. And I was shocked because my salary was 65 at the time, and I was like, "I can't believe that I could in, even interview for a, a position at that salary." I was just like flabbergasted. And, uh, I did interview, I decided not to go for it, but at the time there was another company at task that got like interviewed me and, and, uh, I got not that salary, but a huge bump. I entered in as like an experienced engineer who was already traveling internationally to speak at conferences. And well, actually at that time I hadn't gone international, but I had spoken at conferences and meetups and people were looking to me. I was making egghead videos. They didn't see me as the intern converted full time. They saw me as like one of their senior engineers. And I just graduated. This was, was a lot of it, I think, was perception. But I'd created a lot of that perception by making these videos for Egghead, speaking at meetups, and just demonstrating the stuff that I knew. I didn't know a lot, but uh, the stuff that I knew, I was able to demonstrate that I really knew it well. And so they saw me not as an intern converted full-time, but as a, a real solid senior engineer. And so I was able to do a, a lot cooler things there for the two months that I was there. <laughs> My friend who recruited me over, he needed me to be there for three months to get his $2,000 referral bonus. <laughs> so I felt bad about that, but uh, it, it was an like a really awesome place. I I didn't leave because I was looking is what I mean. But a, a company came to me and said, hey, listen, we know that you just got this job at this place, but we are losing our only engineer. And we have a REST backend that's totally separated from our Angular frontend, AngularJS. I was doing AngularJS at the time. They're totally separate projects. We need somebody to own this entire thing 100%. It's all yours. You make every decision. And I said, yes, please, sign me up. And they gave me a, another pay increase. So in just like six months, I'd over more than doubled my salary, which was kind of wild. Yeah, so that ended up being just super attractive to me. Just the thought that when at Domo, I wasn't able to get any of the really interesting stuff. And then now I'm moving over to this other company where I am doing literally everything. And that appealed to me really well and it delivered on that promise. Uh, I learned an outrageous amount of stuff during that, that year that I was at Alianza. It was a really awesome time.
0: That's fantastic. I love that. I mean, it's such a quick turnaround. So you mentioned public speaking in there and I I know you've given talks around the world and you've built up a real brand around helping people become better engineers through these talks and your content. And, you know, I think one of the things that's interesting is for many people taking that leap to give that first talk or write that first blog post, it's, it's the hardest. I know I struggled with that myself. You know, what inspired that? How'd you get your start? Like, how did you make
2: that part of your life work? I had been blogging ever since I was a teenager. Actually, I I remember maybe when I was 14, I created a a blog spot blog that was all about Google. And I, I've since deleted it, but I was the, one of the first people to blog about Google's acquisition of YouTube. And I was quoted in like these other big news uh, outlets and stuff. That was pretty cool. So I've always been kind of a into the blogging space. I don't know why, I think it was mostly pride, just the idea that I can write words that are read by people all over the world. For lots of the same reason I made my videos and stuff that I uploaded to Google Video and then YouTube, just the idea that I could reach anybody in the world with this stuff, and and maybe that's part of the reason why I love the web so much. I remember listening to a podcast and hearing, this was JavaScript Jabber, and one of the co-hosts at the time was Jamison Dance, and he mentioned that he ran a meetup, and I had no idea what a meetup was. i I looked into it and I decided, hey, I'll show up and i I looked online and I saw that they were still looking for a speaker. I'd never heard of a meetup before, never been to one, but I said I could talk <laughs> about something, and so I had been working on the li- this library i said i'll I'll just tell them about my library, and so I went I talked about my library and it was it was an awesome time. and being up in front of people talking, you know, I still get nervous every time like don't don't get me wrong, but it's something that I really enjoy, and I feel like I'm, you know, pretty good at it. And I've been speaking in front of people since I was a little kid, like even a six-year-old in church. I've been speaking in front of, you know, my peers and and other people, and so that's that's just always been kind of a thing that I've enjoyed. That ended up being a way that I like to disseminate information. I know that some people have a really hard time getting up the gumption to do that. That's not something I can personally relate to, but it has been a really rewarding experience for me. Yeah,
0: for sure. No, and I, I think uh, JavaScript Jabber too, that's uh, Charles Maxwood as well, right? Who was an earlier guest on the show as well. So if our listeners wanna, there's like a whole podcast media JavaScript empire there in uh, Salt Lake City, I think, right? Between you and Charles and a few others. I love it. Well, you know, and then Ken, like, just like that first leap into the public eye, it's also that pretty big leap to decide to go on your own which you did, what, about a year and a half ago? How did you know you were ready for that and how did you prepare for it?
2: Right about the time that I graduated from college, I started making videos for Egghead. And that's kind of a fun story that we can talk about later, I suppose. But I was making these videos for Egghead and my first course that I created was using JWTs with AngularJS, so authentication with Angular AngularJS. And my first month, um, I got my royalty check and it paid my mortgage for that month. And it it did so thereafter. And I don't think that happens anymore for new egghead uh, instructors where they just get a mortgage check every month for their first course. But that just like blew my mind that I could make that kind of side hustle money. And so I started to just make courses on the side, you know, the kids would go to bed and my wife is like, I'm ready to just be alone. And so I would go make videos and I have hundreds of videos on, on egghead and now hundreds of videos on testing JavaScript. And, and I'll have even hundreds more when Epic reactive comes out. It, it's just been something I've, I've been consistently doing for a long time on the side. And when I was at PayPal, As much as I enjoyed my time at PayPal, which was a lot, I was working on testing JavaScript on the side. When I finally was gearing up for it, I I thought, you know what, I think I could make this happen full time. I don't think that I need this job, but I I need to stay here until my stock (laughs) vests because the golden handcuffs. Uh, But I had so many things I wanted to finish there too. So I'm I'm glad for the length of time that I stayed there. I got a lot of really awesome things done. But during that time where I was like, okay, when my stock vests I'm gonna leave, in that time period, I released testingjavascript.com and in the first couple of weeks, I doubled my salary just from testingjavascript.com. That was a lot. It was pretty wild. And, you know, of course, like I'm not making that much. That was a big sale, a big release and everything. You always get the most when you do that first bit. But it just opened my eyes to the fact that I don't need to work here and I don't need to split my time. And so I I can trade PayPal for my own thing and then I can have the evenings to hang out with my family and not have to you know, feel so time-constrained anymore. And I can do even more bigger projects, like Epic React Dev is a way bigger project than Testing JavaScript was, as big as that was. I didn't have any trepidation. Like I'd been preparing for years to be able to do this. I've been building up an audience and building up a, a repertoire, and like, I had so much built up and prepared for the years that it was not really even a concern of like, how much runway do I have when I, I quit my job or anything? And I, I enjoyed my job. I was able to get a lot of really cool things done. Just while I was doing that, I was also gearing up so that I could go on my own. And I did. And it it has turned out remarkably well. I'm, I'm way happy with that decision. Yeah, I
0: love that story. And, you know, it just goes to show for our listeners, too. I mean, that side hustle, like you don't have to leave the real thing. But if it you know, the, your day job, but if you want to go for it. I mean, there's a way to make it work. And in fact, I think that that kind of brings me, I, I saw you just had this recent blog post on intentional career building. And, you know, you've talked about some of the serendipity in the, the early days, but, you know, in this post, you really get into some of how do you build that personal brand? I'm curious, like share a couple of actionable tips for our listeners, something they can take away about how they might go about building their brand.
2: I know that lots of people here building your brand or whatever as kind of icky but honestly it's not and you don't have to have aspirations to be a full-time teacher who's selling your own things to benefit from having a personal brand you can have a brand within your company but like you can be the the smartest engineer in the world at your company and if nobody knows what you accomplish then like that's not going to get you the places where you want to be. Like maybe you're happy now, but when things shake up in your company, you may not end up where you want to be because nobody knows that Like you're the type of person they want to keep around and, and take care of. And so one of the key things that I mentioned in that blog post is the importance of communicating what you've accomplished. If you have done a lot for the company, it's okay to tell your boss that, hey, I did this thing. And it like, I'm really happy to work at a company that gives me the opportunity to work on this cool stuff. Uh, or like, make sure you don't take credit where it's due to someone else, of course, but communicate what you and your team are accomplishing. If you do want to have more of a public view of yourself, then yeah, like share that on Twitter or where, you know, blog about the cool things that you're accomplishing. Communication cannot be overstated. and And I don't have any problem with self-promotion. Often when I promote things that I'm doing myself, it's like, hey, look at this talk that I, I gave or uh, look at this open source library that I'm working on or whatever. And if it's really creating value for the world, then that self-promotion is actually creating value as well because you're sharing that with other people who might get value out of it. So it's not a bad thing at all. Like I wouldn't see that as spam. That's, that's just like, hey, in case you missed this, uh, I made this thing and I think it's, it's pretty helpful. It might help you too.
0: Well, a lot of your content strikes me as it's an invitation, Right. I mean, I, I, that's how I think you, you be genuine about that self-promotion, right, is here's an invitation to engage on an idea. And, you know, if you don't like it, fine, move on. But if you do, then let's dig in. I, I love that, Kent. One of the things on the show, you know, I think, you know, many of us often portray our lives, our careers as up and to the right. But you know there's obviously challenges that face us as well. What's been the best thing and what's been the most challenging thing in crafting this this path that you've been
2: on? I'll start with that challenging thing first. There was a time where and maybe there probably still is where I think I'm pretty hot stuff and I I definitely struggle with that that pride issue and that sometimes has resulted in suboptimal experiences with employers in particular. So like, I'll sign myself up for a bunch of conferences and my employer comes to me and says, hey, did you know that you're working four days out of five for all these conferences you're going to? Your team is picking up the slack, just so you know. And that literally happened and I threw a big fit. I I tweeted about it and um, that was a regrettable experience. And so for all of my confidence in myself, um, bridling that excitement um, and my my own confidence uh, is important, and on top of that, just the the constant struggle with a- avoiding uh, seeking external validation, where I'm not happy unless people are telling me how awesome this stuff I've created is. Which honestly, it, it does happen quite often. Like I'll I'll get tweets from people saying, "Hey, testing JavaScript saved me a ton of time on this thing or whatever," and I'm so much happier with my tests, and, and that's super validating. Uh, But when I start requiring that to feel internal value for myself, then that's dangerous and and, uh, results in situations where without that, I'm not happy with myself. And so that's probably been the biggest challenge. And I know that maybe may not be totally relatable to everybody, but that's been a personal uh, failing that I've been working on for years. That's been a bit of a challenge. And, and it, honestly, it's, it just takes what I do to work on it is mindfulness of the fact that that's a thing that I deal with and not beating myself up about it, but um, intentionally trying to change the way that I frame uh, both compliments and uh, rude things that uh, people say sometimes
0: you know your brain is wired in some ways not not you personally but our brains are wired for that dopamine hit that comes from that validation so it's easy for anybody for that to spin out of control if you will so i appreciate the honesty kent i mean that's not an easy thing for sure well so then what about the best thing what do you love about what
2: you've created i still love that i can create something that can be experienced by people all over the world not everybody has an internet connection but most I would say most do. And the amount of stuff that I've created that is freely accessible to anybody with an internet connection is really awesome to me. Uh, I've been able to help so many people advance their careers totally for free. And that's something that I'm very intentional about. So all all of my testing JavaScript material is 100% open source, available for anybody to look at. I write a silly amount of blog posts about this content as well that's all totally free. And then my Epic React Dev stuff, all of that's open source. All of my Egghead stuff, all of my front end master stuff, all of that material is open source and that's very intentional. I, I realize that I need to sell stuff to make money so I can take care of myself and my family. But once that's taken care of, I'm really motivated by being able to create stuff that will help people improve the world through software. I realize that not everybody has the money to do that. Maybe they're transitioning uh, from a different career or they're in another country. And I do support uh, the purchase power parity, so we do lower prices based on the country you're coming from. But some people still can't afford it uh, from that perspective. And so I'm just really glad that I am in a position where I can give so much stuff for free so that people can improve their own livelihoods, their own situations, um, that is absolutely the best part of all of this.
0: That's fantastic. One more along this theme. What's been the most surprising
2: thing? Honestly, how lucrative it is. A- every step of the way, I, I was shocked. Like, I-, I give a low ball amount to Domo and I don't even realize it. Then, m- just months later, I find out that I could have gotten a lot more. You know, a few months later, I, I double my salary and then I-, I increase it even more a year later when I go to PayPal and then I double that salary um, when I launchtestingjavascript.com. Now that that took a, a silly amount of effort but it was like you you put a you know dollars per hour and I uh, made a lot more than I'd ever made before. And just the the freedom of passive income. I guess that part wasn't really a surprise but I'm surprised how awesome it is uh, I guess where I can say you know what I'm going to just take a break for a few weeks and I still am doing fine. So yeah, the most surprising thing I think is how lucrative our skills are. And and part of it is disgusting <laughs> because just the, we live in a society, a capitalist society where people can work really hard and still not make enough to take care of themselves. But uh, yeah, that's probably been the, the most surprising thing.
0: You know, this, this show is called or Spend a moment talking about a mentor, a relationship or a friend or two that really helped you along your path and the impact they had on you.
2: I often talk about Merrick Christensen. I, I've had like lots of people, there's there's really only been two actual mentor official relationships that I've had where uh, they were both for my internship, my internship at the church and internship at USAA. Uh, I was assigned a mentor at each of those. That was great. Um, I, I love both of those, those guys. But um, I think my favorite mentorship relationship I ever had was with Merrick Christensen. And he probably, if if he ever hears this, he'll be like, I don't even know what you're talking about. (laughs) But like, he taught me so much about like the fundamentals of JavaScript. And I looked up to him so much because he was just such a, a really nice person and super knowledgeable. I I wanted to know a fraction of what he knew about JavaScript. That relationship was not official. Uh, I never asked him to be my mentor. He never offered to be my mentor, but it, the mentorship just kind of naturally came out of conversations that we would have, questions he would answer of mine. Yeah, just the time that we spent together there at Domo. It was a, a really beautiful relationship and still a, a good friendship today.
0: That's fantastic. You know, and I mean, sometimes the informal ones are the best ones, right? Final two questions pretty quick here, Kent, but on your way out, what are the three things, two or three things every software engineer can do this week to make
2: themselves a better engineer? I would say you absolutely are going to learn something. So maybe that can be your first thing, learn something, like build something, create something, and then write down or make a talk or create some sort of content uh, to explain what it is that you learned that like beyond anything else, I I have a blog post about solidifying what you learn. And that's kind of what this is is all about. But more than anything else that will solidify what you have learned into your brain and then do it again next week.
0: Love it. (laughs) That's fantastic. Kent, so amazing to have you on the show. Final question. Where can our listeners best engage with you, follow you on social media, learn from you, engage with your content? Give us all the links.
2: All right, so I am Kent C. Dodds everywhere. Um, so KentCDodds.com is the best place to find all the links. Uh, I just created a new Discord chat um, for where I do live streams and, and things like that. That's and I should probably put a link to that on my website, but you can go to kcd.im/discord to get an invite to that that server. Um, I'm Kent C. Dodds on Twitter and GitHub, and that's that's pretty much where I, I spend most of my time.
0: Awesome. We will, for our listeners, of course, link all of that up in the show notes. Kent, so awesome to have you here. I really appreciate you taking the time.
2: Thank you so much. It's been an honor to to chat with you.
1: Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Development Tour podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Even better, please leave us a review. If you want to hear older episodes, leave feedback or sign up to be a guest, please visit us at developmenttour.com. If you'd like to support the show, there are 3 ways you can help out. 1. Make a donation via Patreon. 2. If you're a software engineer looking for your next gig and wanting to practice interviewing, use our referral link to the interviewing.io platform and 3 buy your next tech book from Manning Publications using our affiliate link. All of those links can be found at developmentor.com/support-us. That's S U P P O R T - U S all one word. Most importantly, if you like this show, please tell your friends. Referrals are the lifeblood of any podcast. Finally, we here at Developmentor hope that each and every episode helps you move one step closer to finding your path.